Well, once again, very happy Mother's Day. I'm also going to say today, very happy Ascension Sunday. People are probably thinking, what the heck is he talking about? It won't be the first time. Um, It's not one of our really big church celebrations in our calendar. We're far more comfortable with Christmas and Easter and even Pentecost. But what was, so what's the deal with Ascension Sunday? For most of, it, it, most of us, it's hardly the focus of any worship, if it's mentioned at all. We didn't grow up with Ascension cards. Hallmark never made an Ascension card. There were no Ascension carols. There were no Ascension specials on TV. And no Ascension albums by Andy Williams, Barbara Streisand, or even Jimmy Buffett. Part of the problem is the calendar. The ascension of Jesus is traditionally celebrated 40 days after Easter, and that usually falls during the week. It's hard enough to get people here on Sunday, let alone in the middle of the week. So those who celebrate it usually do so on the Sunday before or the Sunday after the actual day. The actual day This year for Ascension was last Thursday. So it is today that some churches recognize the event. But when you stop to think about it, what's going on in the Ascension of Jesus? It calls forth many, many questions. Why do we celebrate the day at all? What is it that we are celebrating? What is the meaning of the day of this event to our everyday lives? Well, there was one church in which the minister did regularly talk about the subject of ascension. During one of her sermons on the topic, a parishioner fell asleep. That never happens here, but it did there. The minister got to the point in her sermon where she said, Will all those who want to ascend into heaven please stand? And they all stood except the sleeping parishioner. Then she asked all who were sitting, then she asked all to sit down, and she asked the next question. Will all the people who want to descend down into that other place please stand? And no one moved. But suddenly, someone dropped a hymnal and made a big noise. And the sleeping man jumped to his feet and looked around, and he was confused, And he faced the minister and he mumbled something like, Well, Reverend, I don't know what we're voting for or where it will take us, but it looks like you and I are the only ones for it. The starting point for our search for understanding of the ascension of Jesus is that we need to look at the actual language again that was used to describe it in our biblical passages for today. The language from Acts that specifically describes the ascension is at chapter 1, verse 9. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was taken, lifted up in a cloud, and he took him out of their sight. The event in Mark is at chapter 16, verses 19 through 20. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, 
was taken up into heaven and sat down on the right-hand side of God. The first question to be answered is, did the event of the ascension really happen? For people who take the words of the Bible literally, the answer is yes, it did. And there is support for such a proposition because two very ancient statements of faith by the early church, it is described within. In the Nicene Creed of 325 A.D., it says the event happened by the use of these words. He ascended into heaven and is seated on the right hand of the Father. The Apostles' Creed, written in the 4th to 7th centuries, uses virtually the same language. The specific event of the ascension is also directly described again in the books of Mark, also Luke, and Acts, and is indirectly talked about in the Gospel according to John, wherein Jesus describes his eventual ascension. However, many biblical scholars believe that the event of the ascension is a story that was written to convey a significant spiritual meaning. This approach finds support on the basis that science in general and our knowledge of our world and the cosmos around it specifically has advanced considerably over the last almost 2,000 years. Among many things, modern science has revealed that there is no physical location of hell down there or there is no physical location of heaven up there. There are also biblical issues that support this explanation. Luke is traditionally believed to be the author of both Luke and Acts. However, in each book there are very different descriptions of the ascension event. The only other gospel in which it is specifically described is Mark, as we know. However, it appears in the 16th chapter of Mark, which most biblical scholars believes believe was not part of the original text, but was a later edition. But to me, it makes absolutely no difference to the significance of the ascension, whether Jesus physically ascended or it is a meaningful story, because the powerful messages that it presents to each one of us as individuals and as a faith community are exactly the same. This presents us with the second point to help us understand the ascension. It is quite simply stated, Jesus is no longer physically with us. Whether he physically died on the cross or was resurrected and ultimately ascended into heaven, he is no longer physically here. However, Jesus the Christ is here, available to us, just as he was available to the disciples before and after the ascension. Because Jesus is with God and God exists all around us, Jesus Christ is also all around us. There are no longer any limitations on where Jesus Christ may be at any given time or any given place as there were when Jesus was on earth. Therefore, as well as being around us, Jesus 
is within us. Not just up here, but in our hearts and down deep into our very souls. Therefore, we look to see what is our basic faith component. And it is this, that Jesus Christ is here right now with us. He is present. He loves us. He is concerned about us. He will shed tears of sadness when we cry, and He will laugh out of sheer joy when we are joyful. And He will do both right with us, in us, around us. He understands our deepest needs and desires as they exist right now. He cares about if, how, when, and where we will serve God. He is also deeply concerned about how we treat others, our spouses, our children, friends, co-workers, strangers, and neighbors. Jesus Christ still shows us the path which we are to follow in our lives. The third point to understanding of the ascension of Jesus is based upon the language of Mark, wherein it is stated, Jesus was taken up to heaven and sat down on the right-hand side of God. This was typically at the time of Jesus to describe a very powerful position. But as we Christians, through the ascension, can come to know that through the ascension, Jesus Christ also has the power through God to lead and guide us to ascending in our lives to live the life of service that he lived. He came as a man of service, not as some powerful Lord. For the disciples, that meant that King Herod was not the leader and guide of their lives to serve Herod. Rome was not the leader and the guide of their lives to serve Rome. And the Jewish religious authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the Sanhedrin, were not the leaders and guides of the disciples' lives to serve the Jewish hierarchy. Jesus was and is our guide and leader to serve God. For us, some may say, this is the hardest part of Christian life. No one and no thing can come before Jesus Christ and the service that he calls for us in the life of a Christian. Everything else finds its place after that primary allegiance. Not friends, not country, not government or politicians, not political policy, not work, not play, not material objects, not money. None of those things we so easily set up as idols or we worship as a God. None of that and nothing else can come before our life in Jesus Christ. If you think that sounds easy, think again. It is the hardest part about being an authentic Christian. It runs counter to everything our culture and custom teach us. But... Either we mean it when we say Jesus is our leader and guide to serve God, or we don't. It's as simple as that. 
The fourth point to use in coming to understand the ascension is that the physical Jesus is no longer continuing his ministry here on earth. As people of faith, each and every one of us is called to have our own ascension and ascend to that ministry and continue it in our lives and the lives of others. But how do we actually and specifically do that in our daily lives? Well, one way is that in each and every situation in which we find ourselves, we ask, what would Jesus do now? This question first became famous over a hundred years ago. In 1897, when Charles Sheldon wrote a best-selling book entitled, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? How would Jesus handle these situations from the trivial to the meaningful? When we are tempted to tell that little white lie, I'm sorry I'm late, but traffic was terrible. Jesus would urge us to truthfully say, I did something else before I came here. When the clerk in the store gives us too much change, Jesus would urge us to point out to the clerk the error and receive the correct change. Much more significantly, when we talk to others about the poverty and hunger that is all around us, but do nothing to address the issues, Jesus would urge us to roll up our sleeves and get to work in a program that directly deals with those issues. When we verbally condemn the injustice that exists in our country that is on the basis of discrimination in any area, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, mental health, or any of the other areas of discrimination, Jesus would urge us not to just talk about it, but to take affirmative steps to directly and positively address it. Now, we may say... I don't know how to do all those things, or I don't have the inner strength to carry those steps out. Where do we find the education and the strength to do that? I suggest that a place to start is in this book, the Bible. Learn how Jesus lived his life. Learn how he reacted to the same issues that present themselves to us today. That education to take place on reading the Bible individually or coming with others to one of the Bible study classes we have at this church or worshiping here on Sundays when a specific occurrence in the life of Jesus and his response to it is generally discussed. In this way, you can come to know and understand why Jesus Christ is our leader and our guide into having a life like his in service to God. The fifth and final issue about understanding the ascension of Jesus is just like we as individuals can ascend into living a life like Jesus, so can an entire community of faith. More specifically, so can our faith community at the neighborhood church. The key to understanding this concept 
is in the words Jesus spoke just before his ascension. In Mark, Jesus says to his disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved. The one who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. By using my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes in their hands. And they will drink any deadly thing. And it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick. And they will recover. In Acts, the words are described a little differently. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These words in Acts and Mark have been called the Great Commission. And while there is no ascension event in the book of Matthew, the Great Commission that is stated therein is the one that is most quoted. The final words of Jesus in that book are, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus was not saying the last words he uttered on earth just to one disciple. He wasn't saying to Thomas, make all disciples of nations by yourself. He wasn't saying to Matthew alone, To be my witness to the ends of the earth. He wasn't saying to John alone to heal the sick. Instead, he was saying these things to all of them together. It was a community of faith that was receiving these instructions from Jesus. And it is this community of faith at the neighborhood church, that is receiving the same instructions. The ascension of Jesus means that the continuation of his work has been left to be accomplished by individuals, but not just by them, but also by communities of faith. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus never accumulated many devoted followers during his earthly ministry? But we have seen through the centuries that have passed since the ascension that a community of faith, even one comprised of 11 or 12 people, when empowered and filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ, can do far more to be servants of faith than each of us individually. The significance of the story of the ascension is that communities of faith can ascend to serve on a grand scale. They are the hands, the feet, the ears, the mouth, and the eyes of Jesus Christ in this world. The faith community of Neighborhood Church 
has the opportunity to ascend into a life like that of Jesus, of service. And just like Jesus, this community of faith, with its spiritual home on a bluff, overlooking an expanse of the sea and land, can ascend to bring a bright light of hope, compassion, and justice that are so needed in our world today. Let us all make it so. Amen.